All right, everybody, welcome back to an episode of Kente Corner. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft. I'm here with Nationwide Nolan. We are coming to you live on tape delay after Georgetown's victorious effort against Coppin State. Georgetown snapped a two-game losing streak to beat Juan Dixon and Coppin State 80-48. to Javon Blair led all scorers with 22, and Jamarco Pickett had a stat line that will probably be Remembered forever, 19 points and 18 rebounds. Georgetown's bench in a complete reversal from what happened in the loss to Navy had 26 points. And basically, with about five minutes left in the first half, Nolan, this was a game, and it ended 80-48. The Hoyas ended up going zone. Um, And one of the more memorable things, Juan Dixon got a technical and then was very, very feisty the post game zoom you don't see that a lot from coaches particularly in such a lopsided affair what's going on yeah and you pointed out they were that without the starting guard there um dewan yeah. clayton it looks like who apparently was a late scratch for today's game um so like you said i mean it was 22 20 with 456 left in the first half and at that point you're just thinking is this really going to happen? Are you going to have to play Blair and Pickett 35 plus minutes to squeeze out a win over Coppin State? But thankfully, you go on a little run at the end of the half, you're up 15, and then put it away. And thankfully, we got to see some of the young guys uh, get some time in the second half. Oh, and in the first half, yeah. So there's, you know, for such kind of like a ho hum score, if you see it on the bottom ticker. Uh, Georgetown walks over Coppin State. That's what you expect no matter what Georgetown's roster is. Kobe Clark, who did not play last game, got in, got a, got his first bucket of his collegiate career, and then he went out, had to be helped to the locker room, his left ankle. He emerged for the second half, but in a walking boot. Uh, the big question has been free Jamari Sibley. We saw Jamari Sibley make his college debut with eight minutes. He missed both of his shots. Um, we did also see the debut of TJ Berger, not a very um, heralded recruit, but known as a shooter. And man, that three from the corner, he looks like he can fill it in. Obviously, it's only one shot. He also made a layup as the uh, uh, shot clock expired. And we saw a little bit more of Colin Holloway, who we saw, I believe, in the UMBC opener. But you mentioned that, you know, and I think this is one of the things I going into I wanted to watch was would Patrick have to rely on Blair and Pickett? And even though, you know, Georgetown wins by 32, Pickett, who maybe they were trying to get him to 20 rebounds, played 35 minutes. Blair played 33, you know? Yeah. I mean, like the rest of the way, unless he's in foul trouble, and he's pretty much never in foul trouble, um, he's probably going to be going 37, 38 a night. The big thing, and I, I just tweeted it out, 26 turnovers. I did the research. I went through the old media guides. That's the most in Patrick Ewing's three years plus four four games. Uh, they had 25 against Marquette his first year. Last year up in MSG, they had 24. Um, man, like, how do you fix that? Because when you look where the turnovers are coming from, they're coming from Blair. He's not sitting. They're coming from Jalen Harris. He's not sitting. You know, they're coming from Oaxaca. You know what I mean? So they're they're coming from places where it's like, those guys just have to get better. Yeah, you can't have 12 turnovers from your starting backcourt and, let's see, 58 minutes combined, those two turn it over 12 times. It just can't happen. Um, 
I will get into this, but I would still like to see a little more Dante Harris. And now Berger, it was just one shot, but it looked awfully good. And even you saw him come off screens a couple times. He's ready to shoot. He moves with purpose. If you could just kind of redirect some of those backcourt minutes, can he get five or six, maybe just a cameo in each half? Um, what was interesting to me, lineup-wise, is you have Wahab for 23 minutes, and then you essentially played, I guess Malcolm got in for two at the end, but you're looking at a big chunk of the game where you played without a center, which was interesting, that maybe the Ego half-face struggles, I don't know, do they pull the plug on that now or which direction do they go so pat pat post game mentioned that this just was you know he was asked a couple times you know you went with the lineup and actually i think we talked about this after west virginia i think one of us mentioned that you know west virginia is a good matchup for bigs but going forward it seems like probably when you pull wahab i don't know if ego fa is the guy and tonight there would have been no matchup right i mean who you know mm-hmm. Who 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 would have, who would have been to guard? But I think that uh, he did mention post game. Patrick did that. Just just wasn't the game for him. He's like, you know, does he want to play this way? He said not. He said something. I haven't transcribed everything, but he he said something to the effect of not really because I have two really talented big men. So I think he has not given up on the ego FA experiment as a sophomore. Um, I think I think I think you know Bile missed the first game kind of mixed re- I don't even think they were mixed reviews I think the reviews were kind of negative after the first two games if you can kind of get what he gave you tonight so 22 minutes he had 13 points eight boards and you know he only took nine shots I think the other night in less time he might have taken more shots I think he might have been like four for ten so a little bit of a, a a chuck there but maybe he's just kind of settling at the higher level this is kind of what you need from him this may be like the like the Galen Alexander role from the little bit we saw last year. Yeah. What he gave you tonight. If, I mean, granted the competition, but just playing that role, I prefer to not see him shoot any threes. I know he made two of them tonight, but yeah, if he could just rebound, play defense, use his athleticism, just be active. Um, I think you could steal minutes with him and Jamarco up front. And I would probably be in favor of doing that instead of playing Tim right now until we see a little bit more out of him. Uh, but it's good. I think Ewing, pretty much since he got the job, he's been pretty adamant, at least recruiting and how he's gone about things on the floor, that he always wants that traditional center. So even just to see him go away from that for stretches of the game, 15 minutes, I, I think that was encouraging uh, that he will bend a little bit. Um, if it's possible in getting back to Juan Dixon, who, you know, a local guy play, you know, played at Maryland. He's got our guy, Kevin Braswell on his staff. He actually played for Ewing in the pros for a little bit when he was on the wizards. And I think that was one of Patrick's first, Mm -hmm. first jobs um, as an assistant. He mentioned about, you know, the game for him, from his point of view as the cop and state coach kind of fell apart when Georgetown went smaller one of the things he said, which, you know, you can't really disagree with it, is that, well, that just shows you we were getting anything we wanted defensively as far as Georgetown going zone and playing mm. a little bit smaller. You a little surprised to see that? I know on TV that, you know, uh, I think Raftery and whoever his partner was was talking about how Louis Orr is on the staff and obviously some of that some of that zone bleeds in. But it was, I, I, actually, I actually rewound the game for a second. I'm like, wait a minute, 
Is Georgetown in the zone? And they were yeah. in the zone for like a decent amount of time. And it was right after that I'd actually made some notes. There was two possessions in a row Coppin State had where Pickett yelled out, we're switching everything. You could hear it on TV because there's no fans. And there was just multiple times you had two Hoyas guarding one Coppin State player. What did you mm. think about the zone? And do you think because of this year's team composition, they're going to end up playing more of that than I'm sure Ewing wants to? I would to that point with Jamarco, I would kind of prefer if they do downsize that you just switch everything. Okay. Like that the zone when Ewing has sprinkled it in the first couple of years here on the job, it's usually ending a disaster. Yeah. Um was it the one Syracuse game that it pretty much lost them that game? Yep. I think maybe the first year where Tyus Battle kinda of hit a couple of shots in it. Both of those and, games were just brutal for them. Yeah. So I've I've just not been a fan of it. I think JT3 did a really good job. He seemed to coach it pretty well. And when he threw it out there, it was effective. I haven't seen that yet from Ewing. And in such a condensed offseason where he's said we haven't had time, it would surprise me to see them use that much. Um, certainly this coming Friday is not the game to pull that out with. Um, I mean, you might not have any luck with whatever you do against Villanova but the zone I just personal preference I'm not a huge fan of it um if they could just kind of have a switching defense when they go smaller I could see them having success with that but it was good to see another wrinkle because those first couple minutes of tonight I was just thinking how (laughs) disinterested I've I was rapidly becoming with this team yeah because they just didn't do anything different than years past and it just looked like the same thing over and over just probably with lesser ability this year so to throw something else out there see what sticks i think that's what this year is about see what what sticks really yeah i i think i actually stayed off twitter i had just made some i guess they're pretzel bites or something i don't know so i was kind of i was running a little bit late to get into my basement which is a luxury you have in 2020 because I would have, you know, been at McDonough or been at yeah. Capital One Arena. So I was just kind of getting ready. I, did, I didn't eat dinner, uh, you know, and I got down there and the game wasn't going very well. I didn't have my computer open yet. I wasn't on Twitter, which is sort of, uh, I don't know if it's therapeutic or sometimes it's just Probably nice to, to stay away. Sometimes it's it's just nice to sort of watch the game and actually watch all of it rather than just immersed in, mm-hmm. you know, nonsense. And I'm not saying that I'm not putting nonsense out as well. I'm not trying to act like I'm above everybody by any means. But um, I saw people were kind of getting in early and I decided to stay away from it because I felt like, look, things are definitely not great. But I'd be really surprised if tonight didn't didn't work out well. And it did, but yeah, it, it was definitely a little bit longer than you would have liked. You would like to put them away earlier. Um, I actually thought, I know maybe it's just my bias because I really liked what Kobe Clark gave him in game one, mm-hmm. that he came in immediately and, you know, I think he got a, a bucket down low. And then, you know, he actually tried to block an alley-oop attempt, which is where, or at least break it up, which is where he got hurt. But I was thinking, okay, you know, if they can just get these guys in. And that's kind of what happened. So, like you said, it went from the beginning of the game being like, "Oh my gosh, this this is this is this is bad," and then at the end of the game, and this is why it's you know Twitter's there and it's 
informative in some parts, but if you kind of just bleed all over Twitter, at, you know, in the, in like any moment, you can end up looking like a real fool and trust me, I'm sure yeah. I have. But so it went from like the worst of times to the game ends. You've got Dante Harris, you've got TJ Berger, you've got Jamari Sibley, you've got Colin Holloway. And I think it was Malcolm Wilson before that it was, yeah. I think they were trying to keep him in for 20 rebounds, but then you're like, you know what? And I said this to you right before we started recording, you know, it's almost like if that group played a lot and they lost a ton of games, I think the fan base would kind of be okay with it. Yeah, it's just a matter of, I mean, I don't see this team winning many conference games, no matter what lineup they throw out there. So, and we talked about this. I mean, he's not coaching for his job this year. Um, Some of those guards that are seniors, maybe they'll use the extra year if they want to come back. I don't know. I would doubt it. So why not see what you have with Dante Harris or Berger? I think, you know, I, I threw this out on Twitter. Like, what's say your point guard split minutes wise is 22 for Jalen, something like 18 for Dante. And then you redirect some of the Blair carry minutes. So Berger is playing six, seven, eight minutes a game. I, I just don't see the harm in that. Um, hopefully Kobe Clark's okay. Cause I do think he can play a role on this team. I mean, you just watch the way that kid moves around. Yeah. There's no waste of motion. I mean, they get the ball. He sprints up the court. He flies around on defense. He's the kind of guy, he's a glue guy um, that I think can have a nice career. So I would just give those guys a shot. Um, Obviously, you throw them out there against the Villanova or Creighton for heavy minutes, it's going to be ugly. And I'm not saying to do that. I mean, you have the experienced guys here for a reason. You do have to play them. Um, I think there's a difference between development and you know, almost to a point you'd be tanking if you really just threw them out there for starters minutes. But there's a nice medium that you can hit the sweet spot um, to develop those guys for next year. So Javon Blair, who I think we're, we've mentioned, we can mention again, has probably exceeded our expectations for when he came in, keeps moving up Georgetown records, uh, I, you know, on the broadcast, they mentioned that he had just passed, I think it was Mark Tillman for made threes. Um, Basically, if this team plays as many games as they're supposed to, he's likely going to finish in the top five for made threes and probably finish third. He'll probably be the third player in program history to go over 200 threes, which would be joining all-time leader Devontae Smith-Rivera and Jonathan Wallace. And um, I forgive, or please forgive me if you're listening and I forgot, but someone tweeted at me that, you know, he might be back for another year. So in, this is the fourth game, the fourth game, post game podcast. I pretty much feel like there's no chance Jamarco Pickett would come back. I feel like he's kind of been itching to play pro since probably after year one, honestly. Um, but I hadn't really thought about Javon Blair. And I wonder if that might be the kind of guy that, you know, I don't know what his basketball, you know, professional career might look like, but, you know, he's the kind of guy where if Georgetown wanted him to be in with next year's, you know, to be around with next year's class and, you know, be a, a score that you can rely on and maybe he can, you know, work towards his, you know, grad degree at MBA or something. I hadn't really thought of that. And what's crazy to me is if he did that, 
I mean, you're talking about the Georgetown career three-point leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, interesting. <laughs> I mean, if you look at his game log this year, I mean, every game he scored at least 17 points. Um, yeah. And he's actually done it. I'm just looking. His offensive rating has been at least 104 each game, so it's been pretty efficient so far. Yeah. I think the interesting thing with those two is I would assume pretty much every senior across the country is going to sniff around to see what other programs might be interested in them. Sure. Um, which who knows what you might get on the other side of that with somebody who wants to step into playing time coming from a different program. You don't know. Um, so are you I, saying like, so wait, are you saying like Georgetown might be interested in other seniors or are you, or are you saying like, you know, what if like a Kentucky decided they wanted to have one year of Javon Blair? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, either way, if Georgetown goes to the transfer market, I assume all those kids would be immediately eligible um, as grad transfers next year uh, with the free pass this season. Oh, but yeah, man. I mean, Javon Blair's, you got to figure he's going to average probably 15 a game, maybe more. I mean, if you wanted to see what else was out there, a higher program, um, which sounds terrible that there are that many higher programs right now in Georgetown, but that's kind of the reality. Um, I guess, I don't know. Do you take him back for a fifth year? I would, but does he also maybe have a different interest? That's not pro basketball. Yeah. So interesting. So you took it to a place that makes sense. And I was trying, I wouldn't say I was trying to be positive, but I wasn't trying to be negative, but that just puts me in a different spot of thinking, you know, it's one thing if you get a guy, you know, a a kid like Akinjo or McClung, they transfer to, you know, a power five and, you know, currently most power fives that just, you know, are in a better spot than Georgetown right, right now. But if Georgetown were to lose a player in like, you know, the hired gun situation, Mm -hmm. I think that might that I think that maybe just me that would really sting. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it's I, funny. Obviously, this is like completely we're we've gone into like a second or third layer of a hypothetical here. I was just looking at career three point numbers, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that would be wow. That that would really be tough. I, to go back to a positive note, I mean, those two have <laughs> kind of ended up being the last men standing so if they survive these four years and stuck around i guess you give them the benefit of the doubt that they'd be interested in a fifth year here before Absolutely. they go elsewhere or or you say hey you know what you couldn't have done more you know yeah. enjoy mm-hmm. but yeah um so yeah so you know the two things i wanted to look at were sibley and clark playing uh it was great that they played, you know, really, really, really tough that Clark got injured. You know, anyone that's played basketball, um, I'm sure you've played basketball, probably still play basketball. I still play basketball. Those high ankle sprains, man, like that's not something you yeah. recover from quickly. So that's why it's, I mean, that's just obviously, you know, you hope it's not broken, but some of those sprains are as bad as breaks. Yeah. And he was already in a boot tonight, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, you're not going to see him Friday for sure. I would think. Um, no, I don't think you're going to see him till there's games. There, I, the next time you see him in a game will be a game that's not scheduled yet. If you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess for everybody's favorite topic, does 
Jamari Sibley almost have to play some minutes now. Um, so you were you were on him early. You did a film breakdown of him. I want to say during the summer. What'd you What'd you see tonight? Uh, about what I expected. I think I don't think he's a very good shooter. So to see him miss those two shots wasn't a surprise. Um, it's just going to take time. I think you saw physically he has the frame, but he has to fill it out. Um, it's just, I think just from a physical development standpoint and, and it, it hurt him last year being hurt that he missed all that time. I don't know how many games he actually missed, but it seemed like it knocked out a big chunk of his season. So I, I guess he did get the call tonight before Holloway. Um, it was eight minutes to five minutes, which was a reverse from first game of the year. It felt like Holloway was out there almost before anybody. Um, so it's, I think you're asking a lot if you ask him to play a role in the Big East um, this season, just from a physical standpoint. But, and you heard Raftery on the call. I mean, obviously somebody in the program said to him, like, yeah, we like this kid long-term upside, but I just don't know what you get out of him um, in the short term. Did you like that Raftery's partner, I think less than a minute into the game, compared him to Otto Porter? <laughs> that would be awesome, but uh, I would settle. God, who would I compare him to? I don't even know. I thought what you just said, I thought as soon as he, because I don't think anyone, as soon as he got in, I was like, wait a minute, because I was looking at Twitter, and then I looked over, and I was like, wait, is 14 in the game? And then I clicked on uh, the the uh, the uh, stats broadcast, and he was in. I immediately tweeted Sibley was in, and uh, I thought his frame, like, you know, they always talk about the all-airport team. Mm-hmm. I thought, just looking at him, you're like, okay, this guy looks like a guy. You know, so, like, immediately, like, you see, you can just already see why he would be in the mix for being one of the better recruits without even like watching him dribble a basketball or try and try and try and defend. So immediately it kind of came like, okay, I get it. I get it. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you can be six, eight, 200 pounds and be Otto Porter and you can be six, eight, 200 pounds and be Victor Samnick. Uh, So it's a time will tell. So our friend, Tony Jones, at the athletic covering mm-hmm. the Utah jazz. I tweeted above him. He's actually pretty funny. He's, he's, he's really engaging. He'll pretty much respond to everyone all the time. And yeah. instead of like tweeting back to you, he always quote tweets everything. Like even if it's just to say yes or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and obviously, you know, he's covering the jazz and he's doing all these different things, but he still has his eye on Georgetown basketball. I've talked to him a few times. Um, and he made what I think is a common, in my opinion, I, I told him this, a common mistake by just immediately when you think of bad Georgetown teams or, you know, um, some of the lesser talented Georgetown teams, you immediately just go to Eshrick, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And if anything, I think this current stretch of five years, I think what it should show you, and I know it did for me when we were doing the brackets, is like, man, you know, some of those Eshrick teams could go. And so he said that this was the worst team. I think you might have seen it because I saw you tweet something a little bit later. Um, he said it was the least talented team since Eshrick. And I went back and I said, look, you know, Eshrick's worst team record-wise was uh, his last team. And that team had 
senior Gerald Riley. It had mm-hmm. Bowman. It had Cook. It had Owens. I mean, shoot, and I think I think even on this team, Cortland Freeman would be a baller. Well, it's easy to forget now that Gerald Riley was a top 100 recruit. Um, he was a great college a, player. He played a big role as a freshman on a Sweet 16 team. Um, yeah. Brandon Bowman, top 100 kid. Him and Ashanti were on maybe the best high school team in the country at that time in, at Westchester in L.A. Um, DJ Owens, I think he was a pretty well-regarded recruit. Just had to sit out that first year. Cortland Freeman, I think it was injuries, but Freeman was um, actually he was a he was a big recruit. He, yeah, he was probably uh, the highest ranked one out of all of them. So it's not. I mean, even you go to Matt Causey, who was, I was at least pretty optimistic about his chances because he was another kid who was pretty well regarded. So if you go back, I mean, and that's Freeman, the fourth. Freeman that's was the sev- team. Freeman was seventy fourth in uh, RC, yeah. RSCI okay. top one hundred. Causey was eighty six. Mm-hmm. I mean, we. I mean, we lose our minds over. No offense, because I think he's gonna be really good. But Jordan Riley's like what one thirty. Yeah, and we're kind of hailing him as the program savior right now. So, um, I mean, that's just oh four. If you want to go back oh three oh two, I mean, forget about it. You throw Wesley Wilson and Tony Bethel, and that's before you get to Mike Sweeten. So it's, I don't know. For my money, this is the least talented team um if, and i'm just looking at that 04 team now i mean they did start 10 and 0 and even got to four and five in the big east before the wheels totally fell off so i don't know i think, I, 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 think I, would give the edge I can't remember no looks like riley played all 28 games i don't i don't know yeah it did it did fall apart but um so I tried to – I was going to ask uh, Juan Dixon a question who, like I said, had a great press conference. Um, he's very interested. He's very high on his guys. Um, I wanted to ask him, you know, he brought back Kevin Braswell, who, if I had a chance to talk to him for five minutes, I guess one of the things I would ask him is, you know, so he came back to McDonough tonight. And his senior year, I would assume or hope – Eshrick asked the seniors what they wanted to do, but he was a senior on that team where they where they felt like they got snubbed by the yeah. NCAA tournament and famously turned it down, which doesn't happen anymore, and I don't think it's happened since then. Um, you know, he had a great great college career, and you know, if they had been in the NIT, it's likely he would have played at McDonough at least once, and you know, they'd been to the NIT final. Um, mm-hmm. what do we think about him? And also, I couldn't help but notice what Kevin Brodus did today with Morgan State. Are those two guys that are sort of on like the Hoya fan, you know, wish list at some point, you know, maybe as assistants or, you know, maybe maybe Brodus is past that uh, point in his life? On my wish list would have been JT3 adopting some of Brodus's style on the court. I don't know if you've seen Morgan State play, but they get after it. I mean, they're pressing 90 feet. They take it right at you i mean they pretty much whooped iona today um i would think with him the baggage from binghamton i mean the minor miracle he came back as an assistant in the first place it feels like i mean down the road that would it just feels like a stretch um and braswell that cop and thing i mean i mean i was we said before we got on here i mean 
it's hard to imagine that team was within six points of Duke late in the second half, but they were. Um, I don't know how much that point guard they're missing tonight matters, but it seems like Juan Dixon has had a pretty tough go of it so far. I mean, they haven't really made much progress in the MEAC. Um, I have to think Brodus is going to make a lot more noise than they do. Uh, but Braswell is somebody, I mean, he talks a big game. He seems like a good self-promoter. So if he can take this and turn it into something else elsewhere, uh, he will be worth monitoring for sure. So tonight, I guess, you know, I guess, I guess maybe just, I don't know, maybe it's because it's fun to reminisce and, you know, the team, except for tonight was definitely a big game. Um, I have a couple of points of reminiscing, but like I said, we've already reminisced a little bit. The, the 18 rebounds by Pickett were the most from a Georgetown player since Mike Sweetney, who, man, if you're listening to this and you're like, who is Mike Sweetney? If you're a college kid or if you're if you're younger than me and you're thinking, who is this guy they, they keep talking about? Just an un, unbelievable player. But he had a stat line I'll never forget. It was against Carmelo Anthony, his, his one year at Syracuse. It was an overtime loss to the Orange. He went for 31. 19, seven assists, seven blocks. He was 15 for 17 from the line. And Pickett's 18 rebounds were, you know, obviously it's different that Syracuse, this is Coppin State, no offense. But do you remember that game? And just, you know, how great was Mike Sweetney? He is still, at least post-Iverson era, probably my favorite Georgetown player. Um, And I think his pro career, obviously, issues he had um yeah people forget about it but he was an incredible college player i think detroit bell maybe won biggie's player of the year that year because i thought sweetney got robbed i I mean he carried that team um he was just incredible i mean and you kind of think of him just as an offensive player and obviously he's rebounding but he was pretty darn good on the defensive end um to block a lot of shots but just his hands, his footwork, his touch. I mean, he, as a college big man, he he had it all. I think he might have been one of the guys. I know that Ronnie Thompson helped Hibbert get in shape. Mm-hmm. I think he might have helped Mike Sweetney as well. I could be wrong, but I, I don't know if that was – Ronnie actually might have been on the staff then. I don't I don't have a he, sheet in front of me of when who was the assistants when. Yeah, I can't remember. He left for Arkansas one of those seasons. I can't remember which one. Yeah, but but anyway, when I saw Sweetney in the I think it was the Capital Classic and I'd heard so much about him, you know, this kid from Oxen Hill and you know, and it was like, man, he's kind of big. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then when he got to Georgetown, when he got to Georgetown, that was a that was, you know, that was the second full year Eshrick had because he took over mid-season from Big John. And then he had one season, I want to say, that went to the NIT. Well, I know he went to the NIT his first year that he that he split it. Um, but that year, that team was loaded. Where, you know, Sweeney started, but he didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't even have to, like, play a ton. Yeah, this, I mean... The guy who kind of gets lost in history was the guy who should have played next to him um, the coming years was Wesley Wilson. I mean, how that guy didn't end up in the NBA in the early 2000s, I will not know. Just seven-foot athletic, 
I mean, those two should have been a force together, but um, Wilson seemed like some off the court stuff that got in the way. Um, was he was he one of the uh, MCI guys? Out of Maine, was that Maine yeah. Central? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. Um, I think it was like him. Demar Johnson was kind of that same time. Um, I think there's an interesting book. I can't remember the name of it about kind of all the Nike and shoe company stuff that I think focused quite a bit on MCI at that time. Uh, but yeah, he was one of those kids. So yeah, he was. Yeah, he came in. And then he left in the middle of the 2003 season, which is when they went to the NIT final. Yeah, he had two pretty good years. The O2 team, the O2 team is the one that, you know, because Braswell was there, I went to look and, you know, did they get screwed? You know, Ken Palm, I think, keeps changing its number for the year based on what happens in the postseason. Mm hmm. So Georgetown, you know, was nine and seven in the Big East, which is pretty rare. A Big East school gets left out that's you know above yeah. five hundred. But then when you look, and it's like, man, you know, they didn't really beat anybody. Um, they opened up with the D three team, and they lost to UVA. They lost to UCLA. They lost to Georgia. They didn't. I mean, the only team they beat that wasn't just ridiculously low in the rankings was uh, South Carolina. But their Ken Palm was thirty six which definitely puts you in the mix of making the yeah. tournament. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up was they avoided, they avoided something from, from that era. It all goes back to that era, which probably, <laughs> probably maybe isn't the best thing to always go back to, but tonight, and it's obviously different because schedules are different, but if they had lost tonight, it would have been their first three game non-conference losing streak since Eshrick's first full season, the ninety ninety, or I'm sorry, the nineteen ninety nine two thousand year, where they went out to Maui, they beat Memphis in the first game, they lost a close game against number four UNC in the semis, then they lost to number six Florida, which I mean, what a what a non conference schedule at that time. Yeah, and then what I can only assume was a John Thompson Junior special, because keep in mind, before this season, schedules used to be you know agreed upon years in advance on the way home from Maui after dropping two of three, they, uh, they made a pit stop in Vegas and you just got drubbed <laughs> by uh, the running Rebs, which I can only imagine. Like, first of all, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So I'm not surprised that on the way home, they just, they just got their clocks clean. <laughs> um, terrible, terrible idea, but I can only imagine that the old man wanted to, you know, he loved Vegas, you know, so, yeah, he he wasn't going to turn down an opportunity to make a pit stop. <laughs> but I think it's very rare for a major program to decide on the way back from Vegas. And maybe he did it back in the day. You know, back in the day growing up, the um, Alaska shootout was one of the premier events. And I mm. think they might have made some pit stops in Vegas on the way back from there. But that's just one of those things that you come across when you start looking at. It's like, because, you know, it's rare that you play three high-level non-conference games in a row. You know, just a couple years ago, Georgetown lost four or five in the non-conference where their one win mm-hmm. was somehow against an Oregon team that went to the Final Four. But, you know, but anytime you lose a game like to Navy, and then if that's kind of in between better competition, you have a chance to lose three. But, you know, luckily, losing to a MEAC was just not on the table 
the cl- Georgetown, I believe, right now is like sixty-two and zero against the Miac. Mm. Do you remember the one time it got? And maybe there's more than once that it got kind of dicey, but there was one time in particular it got really dicey. Get any record? What era are we talking? JT three or yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh... There was there was a white knuckler just after Christmas, his first year. They had gone down um, and won some, I think it was a weird event. It was like they played like Clemson and Long Beach State. They went into overtime, and Ashante Cook hit a crazy deep three. I want to say it's a bank, but that could be my memory just making it a bigger deal than it is. But Norfolk State took them to overtime on December 28th, 2004. The Hoyas came away 78-70. I want to say they had a kid on Norfolk State like, Huckabee or Jacoby or somebody. Okay. I don't know if you remember who the hell that was. I'm I definitely not making it up. I swear it happened. <laughs> but it was it was it was my second year of season tickets. My first year was Eshrick's final year. Mm-hmm. The reason I got them was that that the Sweetney game that I was talking about. It was my first year out of yeah. college. And I would just go down to, you know, at that time it was MCI Center. Just go down, get a ticket, no problem. I went to that game. The lines were ridiculous. We literally sat in the top row of that arena. I'm like, well, this is never happening again. Um, So I ended up getting my season tickets. But, yeah, they almost lost to Norfolk State. So there's been at least one time where it was pretty sketch. But um, (laughs) they survived. Do you have any any, uh, last last thoughts on this? I know we don't need to talk for eight hours after they beat Coppin State. We can reminisce. I'm just looking at those schedules like (laughs) – if you, I mean, if I'm Georgetown and the lineage, like, wouldn't it, I mean, it wouldn't drum up much interest, but if they did a home and home with UNLV, I mean, I feel like for the diehard college fans, or maybe people over a certain age, we kind of look at that as being pretty cool. But like, I'm looking at that 05 schedule, they played Temple. Like, if you did a home and home with Temple, um, like, I'm not not asking them to spruce up the schedule with, like, a trip to Duke, which would be nice to have again, but you just kind of cornered the market on those vintage matchups, really lean into your history a little bit. I think that would be fun. Yeah, I think if you look at it in like bigger segments, mm. I think if you get Duke, I think obviously Coach K can't coach forever, even though it seems like it, right? Him and Beheim. Yeah. You could probably throw Huggins into that group now. I don't really, I don't really, you know, deal much with Roy Williams as far as Georgetown doesn't have a, that big of a history um, with him, but he's, he's up there. But I think, you know, obviously coach K likes to play here when there's a regional, just in case they end up in the regional here, it gives them a chance to have, you know, been in the gym with that group. Yeah. But I think, I think what you should try and shoot for like in a 10 year period. And, you know, you could probably look at JT three schedules and say, maybe they're a little bit too ambitious at times, but I think if you want to be a player nationally, you have to schedule like that. But I think in a ten-year chunk, if you get a if you get four games with Duke in ten years, I think that's probably a good way of doing it. Um, I know they had Kansas in there, and the second part of that series never never came off for one reason. But I would say every year I would want to have one big-time game, and you can't always guarantee that with one of these, you know, um, MTEs. But I think between Kansas, Michigan State, Duke, if you're playing one of them just once a year, I think mm-hmm. you're doing a pretty good job. And maybe like, you know, eight years out of ten, 
you can you can get that. But then UNLV, like you said, I think if you're, I think if you're over 35, you probably hold a different place in your heart for UNLV than if yeah. you're, you know, if you're like a high schooler now or if you're in college or you know just if you're younger than uh, 35. But yeah, I agree. I think I think UNLV would be a team that people would be excited to see. And also, do you remember, you know, going through these old schedules? They had a they had a little bit of a you know UCLA I think was I I remember yeah, when they played that was uh, like oh two oh three I think the home and home yeah and when they hosted UCLA I remember I don't think UCLA was necessarily that good or actually that that might have been one of those one of those Lavin teams that just sort of showed yeah, up and ma- they they had some wacky Lavin years but that might have been right at the end of the I think oh three. Um, maybe the year, yeah, I'm looking at it. They did make the Sweet 16 02. I think that's when you went out there to play. And then 03 kind of was the last 11. Yeah, it looks like Lavin. He was collecting his know, mail in the Sweet 16 for all. Well, they, they got lucky yeah. the one year because Kenyon got hurt. Yeah. But, you know, the thing with Georgetown home and homes, like somebody's always going to be interested to come to D.C., um, I think mostly because they just want to recruit that area that I don't, I mean, I don't think anybody's scared of walking into, um, to play a road game at, uh, I guess that'd be McDonough this year, but at Capital One, I mean, who's really, I mean, it's pretty much a neutral setting. You get to come to DC, um, probably can invite some high school recruits to the game. I mean, what's the downside really? Well, you know, my college football team, they were supposed to come here this year. Um, you know, I know it was it was a big deal that, you know, Bray was going to play one of, I think, Kenny Blakeney's a Duke guy, right? Yeah, Howard now, the yeah. Co- yeah, the coach at Howard. So the big thing was that, and I don't think it was even reported much, but so they were all set to come here. Basically what uh, Bray wanted to do was play Howard on like a Thursday and play Georgetown on a Saturday. So he was here to recruit. Mm-hmm. And Notre yeah. Dame seems like a natural fit as well. I mean, it, you know, you don't think of them as much because they used to be part of the, part of the league, but I think Notre Dame could also fit into that scheduling as much. I'm not as high on UVA. I know that Bennett's done a great job there. Um, based on, I mean, obviously they've been a ridiculously good quality opponent. I'm not really into watching them play. Um, but I think no. UVA, I think UVA makes 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 a lot of sense just because you can just hop on a bus. Mm. Um, how how long do you think it has to be for me to think of Coppin State and not think of Fang Mitchell? <laughs> I think uh, that's forever. I don't think you can get rid of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was there forever, wasn't he? Yeah. And what's weird is, you know, Georgetown was always really big into the MIAC, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've only played Coppin State a couple times, and I can't think that that's by accident. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the reasoning there would be. Well, because Coppin State was good. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, think I think it was like, look, <laughs> if I'm playing in MIAC, I want to play one that can beat me. Yeah. Um, and as a kid, I know that they won one game. I want to say that they beat Texas, right? I think they got that was. One. I'm looking now. They did win a first round game in what 97. 
Yeah, I think they got Texas or South Carolina. Who who they get? It might have been South Carolina. That sounds right. They got somebody. I've seen that before, and I had no recollection of South Carolina being a two seed. But yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was. Oh, you know what? Hey, I nailed it. Oh, I didn't. I didn't nail it. But so, so Fang Mitchell and Coppin State they got South Carolina by thirteen in the first round at Pittsburgh, and then in a matchup of the fifteen seed versus the ten seed, they lost by a point to Texas. Hmm. So yeah, I'm just looking. They finished. Ken Palm has that. At, I mean, they finished 128th, which for a MEAC school is unheard That's of. unbelievable. Yeah. Because because they have they have so much, you know, bad data points, you know, just yeah, within your conference. You're down. talking like 16 plus, I guess, if you play three games in the conference tournament, you're talking about 19, basically 300 plus yeah. data points. But... um. These states that aren't states, do you have a favorite? Uh, states that aren't states. So basically, like, you know, Coppin State. Um, I think, you know, Weber State sounds cool. Yeah. App State, Youngstown State. And, you know, there's one this year that I think is the first year. They're in the WAC, which, in my mind, the WAC's a legitimate conference, but it's not anymore. There's something called Dixie State, and it's in Utah. Yeah. And they used to be the rebels, so I'm already kind of raising my eyebrows about what's going on in that in that college. Um, <laughs> they, they've now changed their they've changed their nickname to the Trailblazers. But you know, you start seeing these weird these weird names on the bottom scroll, and you're like, who the hell is Dixie State? And you're like, what just, is it doing uh, in Utah? <laughs> what is it? Dixie State was new to D1 this year, I think. It was uh, Tarleton State, I think, which actually yeah. has. I believe Billy Gillespie is their coach now. You're right. Yeah. He resurfaced. App State. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the states that aren't state. Is, where is Tarleton State? I'm, I have literally – is that New Jersey? At, is that – He's Tarleton. Te- if he's coaching, that's got to be Texas. Is it, or I was, was going to say Texas or, or New Jersey. Um, you're usually doing pretty well when you're playing a state that's not a real state, generally yeah. speaking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's it. This is it. Um, I wrote something today that I called some people about to make sure I wasn't a total idiot and um, basically try to figure out Connecticut's on pause. DePaul is on pause. So they have rescheduled the Friday opening games, Georgetown plays Villanova on Friday. Um, the DePaul game is off. They were playing, I want to say Seton Hall. Um, St. John's was playing uh, UConn. So mm-hmm. on the fly, Seton Hall and St. John's are now playing. They bumped the Georgetown game to seven. And I was trying to talk to people that might know stuff and just say, hey, like how long does the Big East give you to try and reschedule a game? Because if you look at who's playing this weekend, it seems like Georgetown and Villanova, you know, I know that this wouldn't be a real hit with Georgetown fans. It makes a lot of sense if they just play a back-to-back, which is what the Patriots doing. Yeah. I mean, if I mean, the goal of this year is just getting games. I'm sure Villanova wants to get in as many as quickly as they can. So why not? Yeah. So, so Villanova and Georgetown right now 
if, so DePaul's definitely not playing. Villanova was supposed to host DePaul on Monday. That game is off. Mm. Okay. Georgetown currently, even though Dan Hurley has some quotes out there and the um, the UConn AD, it doesn't sound like that game's happening on Sunday. So FS1 has a game on Sunday night from McDonough that FS1 was getting ready to broadcast. That's on the schedule. It's an NFL Sunday, so it's not the biggest loss, but you know, there's advertising, all that stuff. FS1 on Monday was supposed to have DePaul at Villanova. So right now, of the schools in the Big East that don't play either Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, the only two schools are Villanova and Georgetown. Now, Providence is the other team that you could maybe bring in on Monday and play at Villanova because they don't play till Thursday. And by the way, their Thursday game is against UConn, who we have no idea if they're going to be able to play or not. But what would you think about this Georgetown team if they had to play a back-to-back with Connecticut? Or I'm sorry, with uh, Villanova. I think it would be good just to get the games in. And you also, assuming you don't play Villanova again, which I suppose could happen, you kind of get it out of your system. You say, okay, look, Villanova is who they are. We got that out. Like We have a chance to learn from this, get better. And then you kind of move on. I think... I think it would be better to play Villanova on Sunday night than to just not play for basically going from Friday the 11th to Sunday mm. the 20th without playing. And Georgetown has exams starting on Monday the 14th, so that's probably a, that's probably the reason that they don't play at all next week during the week. But I think if the option is play Villanova back-to-back or just wait, I would just say I think it would be better to play. Yeah, I think if you have a team – if you're home or on the road and you're there and there's an opportunity just to play the back-to-back, go ahead and do it. Um, I don't really see the downside to it. I mean, Georgetown itself has been lucky to not run into any pauses or shutdowns um, as far as we know. So as long as you're healthy and can get games in, get them in. Yeah, and, and, you know, honestly, you know, obviously – the better team is always favored, right? We understand Georgetown picked 11th is probably, I think I mentioned today, this might be one of the last times they're favored all season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were favored by as much as 17. And I think, I, I think the number actually went up during, during, during the day. I don't know. I don't know what kind of person's betting Georgetown versus a MIAC, <laughs> but apparently people are. I would think that if you play Villanova on Friday and you play them again on Sunday, I think you'd have a better chance winning that game because, you know, if Villanova does what you'd expect them to do on Friday, they might not be completely engaged on yeah. Sunday's game until maybe, you know, oh my God, there's eight minutes left. And it's like actually, you know, a game that's within the balance. I would say now this is obviously hypothetical upon hypothetical. I would say that's probably to your favor. If you're a team like Georgetown. I would agree. And I'd say, even if, you know, if the biggie schedule gets a little hectic and they're just throwing games together for who's available probably works in your favor too because you've got a lot of new parts this year nobody's going to really scout um as far as game prep because um, that's been an issue i think in the past was teams get to know your tendencies and it just the big east really turns into a slog especially i think um offensively at times in the past for ewing's teams so i think if you can get out there um who knows what can happen so, yeah, roll the Ewing, ball out and let's go. 
Ewing was asked afterwards, you know, if he'd been paying attention to Connecticut. I mean, he knew he was going to say no. Just, you know, what's what what do you think about the situation? Would you be willing to schedule another non-conference on the fly? And he basically didn't rule it out. And I think I'd probably at this point stay away from non-conference because I know within the conference, the schools are kind of, you know, they feel good about that. You know, you've been doing the same thing that we're doing mm-hmm. as opposed to, I've seen a lot of these, you know, my school, JMU, they've had some games fall apart with Maryland and I think Towson had a game fall. I, I just feel, I feel like the bigger schools have more money for the testing and it's more uniform and, you know what everyone in the league is doing because they're listening to Val Ackerman and all that stuff. I'd probably, you know, you keep the game with Syracuse. They're in the ACC. I think if you do schedule non-conference going forward, I would keep it to a bigger school on your side of the country, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And Hurley said if their first day back is like the day before, he won't play, right? Yeah, I mean, how how could you expect him to play? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which for me is disappointing because then we could have talked about if Georgetown could have hired him back in uh, 2017 or not. But I guess we'll have plenty of time to discuss that. Speak, you know, there was, you know, I remember Ben and I used to talk a lot about, I don't even know why, because things were going well. Um, It's probably because of the tournament losses and, hey, you know, if something ever happened to you or who would you want? And I'm sort of embarrassed to say who I wanted because it's not gone well. Um, do you want? Do you want to try and guess based on that on that little statement? He uh, had coach at a high major right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh... And, and like I said, these conversations happened like you know, just sort of you know, Ben's really good at coming up with topics if there's nothing to talk about. Just you know, like what ifs or. Would you do this or that? So it wasn't happening at the end of JT3's time. It was happening when things were fine, except for the tournament losses. So, you know, more like uh, early. It's not Jeff Capel, is it? No. He's he's coaching in the Big Ten. Big Ten. I was just confused. Oh, is it it Collins? No. No? Patino? was con- no, I was convinced he was just gold. Is it Archie? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's still, <laughs> I mean, to fail at Indiana, you really have to fail. I mean, that job is set up so you should have some success, but yeah, it hasn't been great. I mean, look at what he did at Dayton. You know, you're like Elite Eight. You know, yeah. um, they just, and, and you know, his. I guess he had some, I guess I'm looking now, his tournaments weren't that great, but, you know, 10 and 6 in the A-10, 13 and 5, 14 and 4, 15 and 3. He just had, to me, the look of a guy that just knew what he was doing. Mm, yeah. Of course, of course, maybe it's maybe it's Dayton, right? Maybe. maybe. Yeah. Pretty solid footing over there. <laughs> you the know. Hurley one has just been interesting to me because he waited a year after that to take the UConn job where before they hired Ewing, I was – you know, Hurley was a name when the job was open. I just remember he kind of was in silence those couple of weeks where it really freaked out URI fans that he was going to leave and a bigger job was calling. Um, and now, of course, he ends up in the same conference at arrival. So I think that will be – I think he has – there's a ceiling there, but I think clearly he's established a floor that his teams play very hard. 
um, and give Max effort. So it'll be interesting to track what he does there. But yeah. he, uh, I mean, the Hurleys certainly can rub people the wrong way. So who knows that side of things. I got to see a lot of him covering Mason. I usually find a way to get Mason games under my belt and, uh, definitely, definitely a good coach. Um, it is interesting that he's at a big East program where you wouldn't go to Georgetown. Like let's say in a couple years, the job was open for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I doubt it will be, but let's just say in this hypothetical, it is, you know, I think like when the job was open last time and I know that you wouldn't have liked it, but like cool. is at a place where like, going to Georgetown is a step up. Yeah. Yeah. And that seemed to actually have some legs just out of his respect for the Thompsons. Um, Right. I mean, maybe that's why he didn't take it, but there seemed to have actually been some substance to that. But, you know, Hurley's at a place, you know, a state school that's won, you know, four national titles in the last 20 years. Um, He's not at a place where you would move that way, but, you know, someone in, you know, I'm sure Seton Hall fans wouldn't want to hear it, but you know Willard is at a school still where I think, I think that you know moving to Georgetown is definitely a move up from a prestige standpoint, and I think definitely practice facility and all that stuff. But yeah, Connecticut's not a place where you would move that way. Yeah, I mean Willard wasn't he was linked with Virginia Tech what two seasons ago, so that kind of tells you he would be open to it. Well, I thought, I mean, from what I understand, Buzz Williams really wears out his welcome, like, really hard. Yeah, like he, like I can he really, imagine. Because, like you know, I don't, I don't think people know, but Marquette, you know, Georgetown obviously, you know, spends a lot of money on basketball, and a lot of that is the rent at Capital One Arena. But, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, the amenities that Buzz had at Marquette with, you know, the private planes flying all over the country for recruits and you know, I think I think they got into a battle over there because he was just reeling in the JUCOs, mm-hmm. which yeah. sometimes can be a problem with administrations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but apparently he just he just goes through he just wears people out. Um, so yeah, so I thought Buzz going to Virginia Tech was a bit of a stretch, but then he had some you know some there were some conversations he had or some interviews where. He was con- he was he was convinced that the Power Fives were going to break apart, and he wanted to be part of a Power Five, even if Virginia Tech basketball is not, nowhere near Marquette as far as you know, just the brand and prestige and all you know basketball history. But yeah, and then if you know if the Biggies were to lose two straight guys to to Virginia Tech, which has just been a complete yeah. also ran, whether it's the Metro Conference, the Big East, or now the ACC, that wouldn't be wouldn't really be the best the best look of all time no but it's good for seton hall it's good for providence i don't i don't think cool is going anywhere anytime soon and willard i i could i could see leaving i could see i could see a better job you know opening up for willard or you know if he if he rides it out he could sort of make seton hall a thing that they haven't been since i guess carlos carlos has been there yeah i mean i gotta think does seem like there's a little bit of a ceiling there and he's off of that patino tree where he's i got to think he's pretty well regarded around the country and i would think eventually he's he wants to try to i mean if you look at it if mick cronin can get ucla i mean that's unbelievable that's just i mean (laughs) is there anyone 
anywhere else in the country that's sort of that that that's i mean that's so above his his like grade in my opinion you mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. i feel like ucla would have been better off just hiring like some famous player that had never even you know uh, yeah, I mean, like if if you told me that like Jason Capono was was coaching, yeah. <laughs> you, I have no idea what Jason Capono has been doing, you know. But it made more sense. Yeah, but man, Mick Cronin at UCLA, like, how do you sell that? Like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, and then like you 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 turn around, and you're like, you know, Ben Hallen wasn't good enough for you. You were in three straight Final Fours. I, I think they were they made two out of three national championship games. I think. Yeah. I don't even think of Mick Cronin as being a good Big East coach. No, and that's, I mean, just seems like UCLA. I mean, just it kind of gradually the standard there just got lower, and now you're, I mean, you're kind of an afterthought, even though Cronin, I mean, I'm sure he kind of gives you a floor he'll get to, but, I mean, we saw it. There's the way his teams play, there's a ceiling too, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess you don't know what I was about to say. You don't know what that what that Adidas money is doing, but they actually just switched to the Jordan brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just I mean, looking. from the Pac-12 network stuff to the Adidas deal, it seems like they just haven't <laughs> been able to. Nothing's gone right. It feels. Wait, actually, were they had, had, had they gone under? Or was it on, on Under Armour? Yeah, that was the deal. I think they had been Adidas at some point. Yeah, before that, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean Alford Alford got them to a certain point, you know, and that wasn't good enough. But if you look at the run they had with Howland, so yeah, they had they're the finalists, then final four, final four, and then he's just he started to only make the tournament. And mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. that wasn't necessarily good enough. Is Alford coaching anywhere now? He's not is he uh, back Nevada. In Nevada. Yeah. He's had a very interesting career from that one yeah. Sweet 16 with Southwest Missouri State. I might actually have to label this just a college basketball pod. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not even sure how to describe this pod and how many characters uh, is, is it? Is it now on a Twitter? Is it? It was 140, right? What is it like 280 or 260 or? Well, the game tonight didn't give us a whole lot. So. <laughs> um. Are you back on? Uh, are you back on Friday? Are you are you taking a break from these? No, that should work. Um, I know that there was one you said that wasn't going to work for you. It might have been on Christmas Eve Eve, I believe. Yeah, Villanova. Yeah, Villanova works because I I got already sick of watching them against Texas. It just it seems like nobody. I don't know. It's a credit to Villanova, but the way teams just seem to come apart when they play Villanova just drives me nuts. Do you think do you think Shaka's hair had anything to do with it? I don't know. People seem to love that Texas team this year, but I I didn't really see it. I don't get it. I'm not sure. I know that Shaka's also a name since you know we've turned into like mm. talking about the names that were mentioned. I did think Shaka made a lot of sense. I didn't love it. Um, but I thought it made sense just based on 
what he was doing for a little bit at VCU is probably the closest we've seen. Not cl- not the closest, but it definitely mimicked what you'd expect from like a Thompson or an Eshrick team yeah. as far as subbing five guys in and out, you know, like creating, you know, Havoc or Mayhem or I forget which one they were. I guess they were Havoc. But that, I mean, I think that's kind of been his downfall now is he kind of got away from that and kind of lost his identity. If you could tell me he'd come here and do that, and just kind of go about it the way he did it at VCU, I, I would be in on it. But I'm a little skeptical now. People hate his offense, though. So I, I was able to talk to a bunch of Richmond writers and guys down there, and they were saying that, you know, you can't really play that way if you recruit at a higher level. It was It's easier to basically run that with less heralded guys was kind mm-hmm. of the theory. You know, he's definitely put guys in the NBA, right? But they haven't had the team success. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, he would, st- I mean, from a Georgetown standpoint, he's a name for sure. Um, they'll give you a little bit of buzz. Uh, but I think we are at least two years away from from that being a discussion. So, and I don't I mean, know he if he'll have, he might not have two years left in Texas. So that timeline might not work out. He hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since. Is this true? It says, I'm looking, I'm on Ken Palm. He's been round. I don't know if he was in a first four, but in 2016, they made the tournament round one, which means, you know, they didn't get past round one. Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, round one. Now, like I said, I don't know if he was in a first four, so he might have. No, they lost to Nevada in 2018. And then in 2016, yeah, they lost to Northern Iowa. So he hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since VCU in 2013. Yeah, and you know this better than me, but I think he only won the actual 8-10 regular season title. I think he only won it once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he made the Final Four out of the CAA. You know, so they oh, weren't yeah, in, that's true. Yeah, yeah. They weren't they weren't in yeah, the eight ten very long when he was there. Um he was three years CAA and then three years A ten because them and Mason made that move and trust me, Mason it's not been a good move for them. It's just they don't fit with the other yeah. institutions. Um, you know, geographically, like they're much better playing William and Mary and JMU mm-hmm. and ODU and all that stuff, but I, I get it. But yeah, I mean, when you look at what he's done, man, you know, obviously the floor has been lowered at Georgetown, but these are the kind of results that necessarily wouldn't keep the fans around here happy based on what we saw. Yeah. But he definitely has that it, right? Like they're very energy and, you know, it's very... I remember watching them practice before they played Georgetown. They have like that open practice NCAA does and they don't really show a whole lot. Like teams kind of go out there. Definitely Georgetown doesn't show a whole lot, but you know, it's glorified layup drills and stuff. And when they took the court, it was just, they had the guys with like the football pads to like, you know, push you off the block and everybody's screaming. Like they're just like, you know, had like an overdose of creatine. And I was like, uh, I don't think this is going to be great tomorrow. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure how Julian Vaughn's going to handle this. <laughs> no, and they were Chris coming off of that wrist injury. It was just that was wrong place, wrong time. 
yeah, it was never going to be the right place at the right time for that. I mean, yeah, we could probably do like a 30 for 30 on that. Did you see Freeman tweeting today, by the way? No, I missed that. So Austin, who we had on Kente Corner and huge Austin Freeman fan from when he played um, from high school, you know, through college. Let me just pull this up. Let's just end on Freeman. So he's coaching at, I want to say, he's. I don't know if he's an official coach or I think he might be an official coach at DeMatha. He's definitely in the program, but I don't know. You know, I know you have like a certain number of assistants. Mm, I'm not sure what he's listed as, but obviously he's a DeMatha all-time great. So he asked about, you know, how he got his picture up in the stands for the game. You know, like the cardboard cutouts that the fans Mm, have. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but my son is there. My three-year-old son is catching all the games at uh, McDonough's. <laughs> so he said, you know, be- better question, am I allowed to have my pick up there? Which, you know, it's a little bit of passive-aggressive, you know. I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, and then it got into – then I want to say – I want to say Trey Dickerson. Uh, looks like Trey Dickerson might have deleted his tweet or something. He tweeted at him about retiring numbers because the announcers remember they were talking about, you know, Reggie Williams' number isn't retired. Yeah, which Georgetown doesn't. You can't do that. You'd have no numbers left. So then you know Freeman says, you know, what's the criteria? Then he talks about, you know, I would have loved to play for Ewing in this offense. Then he talked about graduating. I think I think the dog talk guys and Chris. Right, absolutely deserves his jersey up on the wall. He played in the NBA. Um, but I, I do think that they bring up a good point, and now we're just going all over the place, at least I am. I haven't even been drinking, so it's just, just me talking. <laughs> um, that I think that what you see from these guys, and particularly them, since they have their own their own podcast, is that there's just a sense, and I don't know how who does it, how you fix it, blah, blah, blah. But there is a sense that the guys that didn't make the NBA – want a bigger connection with the school with the program and i don't know what the relationship there is you know who's in charge of that it seems like maybe patrick ewing jr has been recently Mm -hmm. but it seems like the guys particularly the guys like freeman and wright who were on the cusp of you know they're not just like you know a role player in college, which is a totally yeah. fine position to be. But the guys that like kind of just missed the NBA, the kind of guy that played summer league a couple years in a row and ne- never really stuck, but played overseas like Austin. Those are the guys that I feel like they really want to have a more of a connection. And I, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to do. And I hope that that's able to a- able to happen. And I don't like saying these things without giving a recommendation about what I would do. So I'm not really sure what it is, but I think, I think that there's got to be something to come up with where they, these guys can get connected more. And I know Austin, for example, like last year, once he retired from playing overseas, he was at every game, like sitting front row, like over mm-hmm. near where John Thompson Jr. would sit. So he definitely, you know, is in contact with the, uh, with whoever in the program is, you know, hooking him up with those, with those seats. But it does seem like those guys would just, they just, whatever is being offered to them, it seems like they want a little bit more. They want to feel a little bit more love, a little bit more connected. And I think it'd be a good thing for everybody if yeah. that, could, that could that could happen. I mean, even if you look at the guys who got to the NBA, I mean, Reggie Williams, Jaron Jackson, there even feels like there's been a disconnect there over the years. I mean, yeah. Reggie Williams is one of the, what, 
five, six best players in program history, and he feels some sort of way. And Jaron Jackson obviously had the chance to be an assistant, but then was kind of ousted and hasn't been seen since, which you missed out on the lottery pick that his son turned into. Yeah, um, yeah. And then even I saw, was it yesterday, he got hired by the Knicks G League team. So it's Jaren? like if a guy like that, still wants into the business. I mean, if he's good enough for the Knicks, is he not good enough for Georgetown basketball? I don't know. Um, so something has to be fixed there. You got to mend some fences, whatever it is. Uh, but there certainly is a disconnect. I want to say it was like, well, it wasn't this summer because we didn't do Kenner League. I want to say it was two summers ago, like recently, since uh, Patrick's been the coach. It must have been Kennerly because there would have been really no other reason for me to be at Georgetown. There was some sort of alumni event in the Thompson Center. Yeah, I think it was definitely Kennerly. I was sitting with Rich, and Jaron was there. So I know what you're saying, that there has been a moment where, like, he might have felt a certain way because he was on that last Eshrick staff. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if he wanted the job or if he wanted to stay once JT3 took over, and he didn't. Mm. But um, it did seem like there was something going on there that wasn't great but that seems to have have been fixed at least from my eyes of just seeing him there now i could be totally wrong about that but it does seem like that and then for reggie i definitely would be interested if you know gene smith or dog talk um i've interviewed him once years ago but i'd be interested to know and maybe it's on dog talk or i'm sorry i think it's on locker room with uh, gene smith what it is that he's not getting because yeah his son played not too long ago, so you figure he would have been involved in one getting his son there, and then when his mm-hmm. son was playing, um, you know, he would have been, you know, as as a parent, he would have been more involved. So I, I wonder what it is that, and I hope it's not just as simple as that as that T-shirt, because I want to say that that was the Hoop Club that put that T-shirt out, where you know it's got like the names on it. Yeah, I can see how some of those guys, like a Reggie or the other guys who played in the pros that they look at it as if, okay, if I'm not Patrick Alonzo, Dikembe or Iverson, I, I don't really matter. I, I could see how they could feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, Reggie obviously was just a local legend. He was on, on those great high school teams. Mm-hmm. And then obviously his entire time at Georgetown was, you know, great. And then by his senior year, he was, he was, you know, it was Reggie and the Miracles. I think he only played one year of the three-pointer, which would have been interesting when you talk, when I, yeah. you know, when I, I mentioned about Javon Blair probably going to finish third or even first if he plays a fifth year. <laughs> um, the fact that, you know, someone like Reggie only had one year where it counted, you know, someone like Sleepy Floyd, you know, had four years of no three-pointers. And then Iverson, who I think is up there, only had, two years even i think he's got like the year with the most threes ever yeah Um, yeah he in his (laughs) i don't think it was a very good percentage but his uh his sophomore year he almost made 100 threes um which only rodney Pryor has sort of come close to which you kind of forget he even existed because that was i mean that was a hell of a that was a hell of a season but it was a transition and kind of coasted into the bad Speaking of coasting on the bat, I'm sure if I keep talking long enough, I'll say something stupid. So <laughs> we should probably reconvene before, or after after uh, Villanova. Do you think Andrew Geiger, casual Hoya, will 
grace us with his presence? I think we need a little bit more of his fire. He came in pretty hot the the last one. So, well, he came in pretty hot from a game he didn't even watch. <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. it's understandable. If I didn't watch that and I saw Navy seventy eight seventy one, I I get it. But looking ahead, I mean, you, I mean, I don't even know what game he could come in hot. I mean, I guess if some weird score gets thrown out there or, you know, I mean, shoot a couple years ago, we saw, didn't, didn't DePaul boat race with like Max Struess. Didn't they boat race Georgetown? Yeah. I think those, the, the DePaul games and St. John's, I think the fame, the fan base is still kind of holding on to, okay, well, we're at least not them. Um, and I think that could change this year. Well, I'm just trying to map out like when Andrew could just, like you said, come in hot and just, you know, flame everything. And I suppose if they throw up a real clunker in the dome or something, uh, I did expect him if things went really bad tonight, I expected him to clear his schedule out. Um, I know he's, he's living in central time, so it's even like more convenient for him, Mm -hmm. but everything went well. And I noticed he had some comments in the game thread that based on Pickett's performance, um, you know, Andrew kind of loses what he probably would like to, you know, come in hot on. I know he's got some, no, he's got some opinions on, on our man, Jamarco Pickett, who had an incredible game today. Incredible game today. All right, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this Coppin state recap that it's gone in a lot of different, different sidebars, which I've truly enjoyed. He's Nationwide Nolan. I'm at Bobby Bancroft. And we will see you after hopefully what is the Big East opener on Friday. Fingers crossed. COVID related. No problems. Sounds good. Thanks, Bobby. Let's see it.